Okay, hey audience, I might as well start talking, I suppose. We're still going to eventually get one Nancy Rommelman, and eventually, hopefully, I pray for it, get one Matt Welch. Uh, This is a bit of a crossover. I actually anticipated just doing pure media for this particular episode. I thought it was going that direction, and yet I felt compelled to write something, something that kind of dovetailed a bit with sports and the current political situation. And it's been a very interesting day in the NBA. So I'll try to catch up anybody uh, to speed with that particular situation because it's almost chaos. Um, It's a very odd thing. There's cognitive dissonance just watching it unfold. On the one hand, you're reading the news and you're seeing the new variant Omicron? Is that how you properly pronounce it? I'll never know. You're seeing it rifle through the world. You're seeing COVID cases spike in New York. You're hearing that the new variant is highly transmissible, but thankfully not very dangerous. Not very dangerous, it seems. Um, So that's good, but you're seeing it overwhelm or have the capacity to overwhelm the sports world. You're seeing cases rise in football. You're seeing cases rise in basketball. And there's a sense of, oh my, batten down the hatches. Here it comes. And that's the backdrop. So you have that coming. And there is a sense that there are going to be so many players knocked out uh, due to health and safety protocols that the leagues will have to shut down. Simultaneously, the announcers, for the most part, are talking about the games and the Lakers tonight as though nothing is wrong and there, there's nothing looming in the backdrop. At the same time, at the same time, you're seeing Jeff Van Gundy, the main announcer, say that the league is going to have to shut down. Uh, And at the same time, you're seeing the NBA saying they're going to test more, which is almost sure to cause more of a shutdown because the more you test, the more guys end up in health and safety protocols, potentially compromising the Christmas Day game. Um, Meanwhile, the NFL, cold-eyed pragmatists that they are, uh, are, you know, tossing about the scenario of testing less. They're not testing uh, already vaccinated players. So there's a lot going on. And we're going to bring Nancy up to the stage. and We're going to have a conversation about this. Honestly, I'm curious about her thoughts. I know her thoughts on many things, but I actually don't know where she stands on this stuff. I don't know. For all I know, she could be a COVID hawk. I don't know. I really don't. That's part of the fun of it. Um, but I wrote something today. On the old Substack, uh, it was on the idea that the NBA could lead culturally, that they could close a loop. That back in March of 2020, when Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz in Oklahoma City tested positive for coronavirus, it started a cascade and it caused shutdown after shutdown. It was the indication, the alarm that COVID was real. And that institutions would react to it. I don't credit the NBA for it. I think they had to at that moment. There were state and city officials that would have shut them down once it became clear that multiple players had COVID. But it began a certain lockdown mentality. And so I theorize today that if the NBA wanted to be bold, ha ha ha, silly me. If the NBA wanted to be bold, they could maybe reverse it. They could close the loop. They could be the first to say, hey, we can't operate like this. We can't with this new variant that doesn't appear to be dangerous, uh, just start sending guys home all the time. It seems like this disease is going to be with us 
in perpetuity. So we're going to have to move on. And that would be a signal, perhaps, to other institutions, just as it was a signal that everybody had to shut down. It could be a signal that everybody would have to forge forth and tough it out and grit their teeth and live with the risk. Um, That's what I theorized. The NBA already seems to be going the other direction, testing assiduously. Um, I who knows? Who knows? what the right answer is for them or what considerations they have. Uh, But selfishly, as somebody who wants to enter the new epoch in which we are living with this, vaccinated, boosted, whatever, I was hoping that they would maybe lead the way and we could get out of this particular lockdown mentality, especially in the uh, state of California where I live. But I don't know what Nancy might think. She's a very reasonable person. I would trust that she's going to have the reasonable take on this and we can talk about whatever else And we can take questions from all of you. So let me call Nancy up to the old stage. We can see we can work the technology out. Nancy? Yes. Yes. There we go. Hey, how you doing? Good. That only took me uh, three minutes to figure out how to get into the room. It, it is kind of like, uh, what was the other one I don't go on anymore? Clubhouse? Clubhouse. It's very yeah. much like, a, yeah. No, no, no. Because they, some of the people involved are, are probably listening. It's way better than Clubhouse. Way better. Oh, for sure. Oh, we know that. You know, it's funny. Clubhouse was like one of those things everybody ran in and then everybody ran out. Not kind of unlike uh, unlike what happened with COVID last March. <laughs> there you go. There's a professional segue right there. Boom. Uh, yeah, we're, we're herd animals. I also think, um, it's funny because I got the fifth column guys who are recording, uh, in the next room for me right now. Um, they had a, we had, some of you guys know this, the fifth column podcast. It's Matt Welch and Michael Moynihan and Camille Foster. And, um, they had a real live meetup for some people. And I believe it was March 9th, 2020. COVID, you know, people were kind of like talking about it, but we all went out, went to this totally cramped, crushed little bar uh, down uh, in the village. And basically everybody slobbered on each other. This was March 9th. And then everybody, (laughs) without being told, it was like a little instinctual bell rang and everybody went into their houses and nobody saw each other for two months. And I think I was looking, I was just rereading the Mm. piece, which we just uh, reposted so kindly. Thank you so much on PlomaMedia.com. And saw that it was uh, March 10th that uh, Rudy Gobert went in. So, I mean, that really was a day I think we as human animals felt, not just because what the media was telling us, like we felt we needed to go in and lock down. Um, And then that time passed. (laughs) Uh, And I think we've way, way passed that time at this point in terms of having uh, having to get back out. And um, I thought your piece was very, very interesting uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the NBA really did, in a sense, kind of lead. It was like this was a really, really big deal. It was in the middle of basketball season of all of a sudden we shut this down. And people are like, yeah, OK, but, yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time to reopen and that maybe they could step up. I think it's a really interesting idea. 
I, I should probably give a proper introduction. Do I call you the proprietor of Coloma Media? You know, what oh, is the bio? Uh, or, co-conspirator, I guess. Uh, at this mm. point, kind of publishing and doing a lot of the editing. Um, but yeah, yeah. I'm in the driver's seat over here, as you say. Yeah. And do you want to tell the people what you're up to? Oh, uh, yeah. I want to talk basketball, but yeah. So Coloma Media <laughs> is, a, is a, a beginning of the year. We started a, a YouTube channel, Coloma uh, Media. You can go over there. There's a whole bunch of videos. Mostly Matt Welch and me, a bunch of different people. And then um, I was really kind of itchy to start a website so we could run some original journalism, some opinion, some jackassery, and also aggregate stuff, like people that we love, um, whether it's what they're doing now. Uh, we've got a whole section called, you know, work we didn't do, or or stuff that was just, like, super cool that, you know, just kind of, like, washes downstream. Well, let's get some new eyeballs on it. And we've got video every day. Anyway, it's, uh, it's PolomaMedia.com. It's... I gotta say, it looks really great. <laughs> We're one month old this week. Oh, and, uh, it looks I, good. It's got a great aesthetic. It's a very 1990s aesthetic, and I mean that in the best possible way. Um, so it, it looks fantastic. I would recommend it. And I will derail away from your plug back to me blathering about this whole thing because it messes yeah. with my mind, man. It does. I feel like obviously you, you have to give the standard caveats not epidemiologist, not a medical doctor, right? Uh, and y- you want to put your trust in the people who are, right? You want them to lead us, but yet it just seems like we're kind of wayward and without a plan. And that's one of the things I was saying in this article about the NBA. It's this sense of, look, I don't want to be glib about it. I obviously believe in it. I believe that it has caused a lot of excess mortality and uh, beyond that, so much else. But, I mean, I don't need to be an epidemiologist to see the lack of a plan or an endgame, yes? I mean, (laughs) that's something that a reasonable person can perceive. And I think at a certain point, it's fair to say, hey, at what point do we just get back to live and get back to uh, in the wintertime having basketball season, having football season and everything else? I, you know, we've all said this numerous times, but, you know, when COVID rolls around, you know, you you have to allow people to catch up to understand what's going on, even if you are an epidemiologist, if, if you've studied influenza, like you've got to you gotta study it. And I think that in many ways, I mean, the people that created the vaccine did an amazing job. They really moved quickly. Um, Americans got lots of mixed messages. The CDC couldn't, as my late father used to say, find their ass with, with both hands. Um, but I think the real problem that we've run into is that, you know, whether it's been since politics as we know it, exist, but really, really, I think since, um, you know, 2015, when, when, when Trump was ready for president and, and, you know, sides really formed in this country, right? And we, we know who they were and they were arguing with each other. And then, and then Trump was out of office and we had COVID and it's the same people sort of on the same side arguing. We got addicted to arguing. We got addicted to our side being right. And we're, we're doing the same thing with COVID. And, uh, it's basically the same sides too, uh, warring for each other. And I think that sort of continued the uh, disinformation and and not knowing where to go and not knowing what to do. Um, But, you know, if we look at it pretty clearly, COVID kind of really sucks. It's it's just going to keep changing. However, (laughs) um, you know, Omicron, is that how you say it? I I don't know. Is that 
Who knows? Of course, everybody said it was Omicron. I did at least at the beginning, but Omicron is is yes, it is more contagious. I think we're all going to get it, uh, even if we've been boosted, probably. Um, but it's it's not it's not lethal. Um, we've got to go on. We've got to realize when you look at the numbers, and they are so minuscule, especially for children. I I have not looked, but I remember I was writing about it about six weeks ago, and it was just a tiny proportion of kids who really got sick with it. But we're going to completely shut down the schools because of that. You look at what's happening with uh, what was the college today where they were talking about Cornell, 97% vaccine rate. They've called it, what, did, were you the one that quoted it? A red, it's a code red. When did they start using these, you know, codes <laughs> and have, have sent everybody home during finals week with a 97% vaccination rate for young people? This is, this I don't think it's about COVID anymore. It's about being right. Yes, people could say, well, we're just being, you know, we're using an abundance of caution. Well, yeah, but it, it's foolhardy. It, it, it's not correct. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also this dynamic where it's difficult if you have terrorized people or terrified people into a certain modality, it's difficult to just ease them out of it with reason. Um, and I think that's also what we're up against. And there's a certain muscle memory to this, to batten down the hatches, here it comes. But again, the thing that that sticks in my craw is mostly the lack of a benchmark. You know, I think I referenced Yossarian from Catch-22 in the article. I see, uh, I know it's not his real name in this particular yeah. chat, but somebody under the name of Yossarian in this particular chat it feels like catch 22 without the missions. You know, they're not even telling you that you have to fly 23 and raise it to 26 anymore. It's just perpetual. And I don't know what the end game eventually is, but it's amazing to me that there's such little discussion of it at this point. I do want to take a call. Somebody's in the caller queue. I didn't even ask for it. We'll see if this person is on their toes, if they're paying attention and, and waiting. And hey, anybody else can get in the caller queue. I do want to see. I've just been curious. Let me see about this. Make next caller. Like an old man, I announce the technology as I say it. Hey, JF. Uh, hey, Ethan. Hi, Nancy. Uh, so I just want to interject because uh, I had like contentions with your uh, caveats. I think you can really okay. throw them out at this point because the epidemiologists are really just glorified economists, right? And they've been wrong like so many times throughout this pandemic about uh, you know, the source of spread and kind of these curves, there was, these were totally unexpected. I mean, we had Fauci uh, uh, saying that we never see a spike again after we hit 50% vaccination rate, which is simply not the case. And Nancy, you're uh, referencing like Cornell, uh, and they're certainly not alone of these high rate uh, places having these massive outbreaks. Uh, so they've always been wrong. Um, I, I think you're definitely free to say, uh, you know, we need better solutions without having caveats to your proposals. Um, but I think one thing that you really undersold in your article was, and this is somebody else who commented this, uh, was that, you know, society has gone back to normal in the red states. Like my my friend, yeah. one of my uh, best friends, actually, he left a high status, high paying job uh, to relocate to South Florida because he was in, in your position. He has young kids. He has three of them, in fact, and he didn't want uh, to put them through another year of schooling with masks and restrictions and, you know, going off, uh, 
you know, virtual and in classroom, right? He was just so fed up through it that he gave up his career and is starting anew in South Florida. Like I said, and he was uh, very successful in what he was doing. Um, and so, uh, like I said, it's uh, it's totally normal in most of these states. And I think you're really looking through a California perspective. Like I was just listening, I just sent my dog out, I was listening to Nate Duncan's podcast. And he said something like, um, you know, is society ready to kind of accept this, right? As, you know, and it was just like such the, it was the language of like the garden variety California Democrat, right? Like, you know, it was. <laughs> I'm just, I'm laughing because the moment uh, of when we reasoned out what would happen to the pandemic, I was at Nate Duncan's house uh, at 11 p.m. in, in Berkeley with uh, Anthony Slater. And I'm just remembering because I was telling them about the Italy stuff and they were like, but wait a second, if what happens in Italy happens here, then oh, shit, the NBA. Like, yes. Do you really think the NBA is going to shut down? Sorry, I'm sorry for interjecting, but I'm laughing and reminiscing. But continue, sir. But yeah, so um, I think there's just like this, uh, and Nancy kind of alluded to too, that there's like kind of almost two Americas now, uh, or two ways of thinking. And uh, and this is, you know, ties into a lot of the NBA's problems, right? Because they've chosen kind of this progressive America, where they're shunning uh, the other half of America. Uh, <laughs> and I think this is really affecting, you know, TV ratings. And you wrote a piece on attendance numbers, and I would challenge you on one of, uh, I, I'd say the more uh, critical aspect of decline att uh, attendance is actually that these are red state cities, right? Uh, that that the NBA is mm. kind of, you know, putting their nose up to, right? Since kind of Adam Silver leaned into this. And, you know, I think one of his, well, I think he recognized this, right? He's pulled back a little bit of wearing politics on their sleeve, but certainly the entire NBA ecosystem is, you know, swarmed with, uh, you know, players and media members who love to virtue single and woke scold. Like, and I just like, just, uh, I don't know what, uh, why so many of your peers and former colleagues, uh, you know, make such a conservative effort to espouse like these kind of values on social media where, uh, can you kind of explain that? I know I've thrown it, uh, a bunch of things at you, but no, you, you, you've said a lot, but you've said it well. Uh, so it's it's a lot of grist for the mill, and um, I, I can form a response, and then Nancy, uh, by all means, uh, add, add on to it. Um, I think that sometimes it's as simple as people just want something to be true so badly. And in the social media era, they can almost conjure a uh, stigma around anybody who, who bursts that particular bubble. Um, and you know, I saw that just talking about the, the rating stuff. It became a thing. Yes. It became a thing with colleagues. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and I, sorry. And yeah. I was thinking just about that. Like you're like, I listened to your podcast with slate. I listened to that slate, hang up and listen podcast. And Josh Levine, I really liked, he was just unwilling to accept uh, the idea that ratings decline partially because of NBA's embrace of Black Lives Matter or, you know, them putting in the court. Like he could not accept yeah. that as an answer. Same with Marcus Thompson, which is absolutely absurd when it was very clearly, you know, having a direct impact. Like I said, it was almost a tacit agreement from, uh, no, acceptance from uh, Adam Silver, who said, you know, we won't be doing this next year, right? After the 
ratings were. Yeah, no, yeah. Adam, Adam Silver agreed. Yeah, Adam Silver agrees with me. The commissioner of the NBA agrees with me. The NBA agrees with me. They got very scared um, of the free fall in viewership. And, you know, over time, they've they've lost half their viewership. And I, again, to me, what's weird, it, it becomes a thing. And maybe I'm being too defensive on it. But it becomes a thing where I'm the weird one for talking about it as opposed <laughs> to isn't it weird that the NBA lost half its viewers? That's rather <laughs> remarkable. It doesn't happen all the time. So, yeah. And the politics thing is so funny because people care about politics. I mean, isn't that obvious? I mean, it's the most obvious thing. They really, really care. And for- especially when, when it, you know, today, like since 2015, it's become so polarized. And it's really like politics. I remember, uh, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I was talking to someone in undergrad and he's like, you know, I'm not going to vote. Like politics doesn't really impact me. And really that kind of that was sort of true, like, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, but now it really does. Like, look at just what's happening with COVID policies and all these restrictions that are being put on blue states versus the red states and progressive cities and versus non-progressive cities. Like, politics really matters. Nancy, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I think it's funny that you said, and I, and I haven't followed it as closely as you have, obviously, but that, you know, you're willing to come out and just say, hey, you know, you've lost 50% of your viewership. Like, uh, I mean... Why were they really that scared to come out and say, you know, we kind of think we know that what's going on here? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's similar. God, I've thought about it a lot because it's such a small issue in the grand scheme. It's not like crime. There's no real policy around it, right? Um, the NBA actually does support certain legislation, and that's a whole other topic now. But it, it shouldn't be that big a deal to just concede the obvious. And I think what was strange maybe to Josh Levine is that I was just acting like it was obvious as opposed to <laughs> acting like the burden of proof proof was on me. I mean, wouldn't it be so obvious if uh, suddenly the New York Mets started campaigning uh, against uh, abortion that a bunch of fans, uh, you know, of the Democratic Party would say, I'm turning off the channel. They certainly would be the first to do so at Slate. I'll tell you that much. Right. Absolutely. And that's like a such a great parallel because there is moral righteousness uh, grounded in abortion. Right. You could say that you're actually, you know, killing something uh, that's that's wrong. And, uh, you know, and you can compare that with Black Lives Matters work. You know, those same colleagues would say, well, that's you know, this is the righteous thing. Right. We need to support this movement. Well, yeah. The f- well, the further we, we tease out the analogy, the more somebody is going to pick it apart. But the general principle is true, which is that there are issues people deeply care about. And yet there's almost a lack of imagination um, in the uh, group that is, I suppose, more dominant in media to just imagine other people with other uh, taboos and other sore points and have that. You know, there's this odd there's this odd thing of, well, that's going to get them riled up. But it's not going to make them change the fucking channel. That would be impossible for that to happen. <laughs> um, and and to Nancy's question about why why the lack of concession, I think maybe it's this it's the sense of we like the activism from these leagues. We like when the leagues say what we want them to say. And if the suits get the sense that it's losing them tens of millions of dollars, if not more, that's going to stop, and it can't happen. Please, please stop bringing it up. I, I think that's probably what it was rooted in, Nancy. 
I have a, I have a, a sort of a, a similar question, and reading your article, and, and I do not know about this kind of stuff like you do. So let's say your idea that you're talking about, they do decide they want to go with this, and Adam Silver obviously has to make an announcement. And we're talking about, you know, billions of dollars. Who's on his side in, say, Washington, where I'm assuming, mm. you know, some of this stuff is going to fulminate or there's going to be some impact or, you know, people are going to say their congressmen, like, I can't believe the NBA is doing this. Like, who's going to be on his side? Are they, are they going to really have to go it alone? Which, hey, I have no problem with that. But that's, that's, that's pretty ballsy. And, and I think that'd be super cool. Who's going to be on, I'm going to just call it silver for now, but obviously on this position side, if he did have the balls to go out and say, we're doing this. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe that's why he didn't do it. He couldn't find the support. It's why I'm not going okay. to assail the move and say that, oh, what a dumb move, because they they, pro- they yeah. probably do due diligence. But in theory, the Democratic Party and the NBA, a lot of connection points, a lot of friendliness. In theory, you should get backing. But sometimes, okay. sometimes maybe you just got to you, you got to put people to a decision, as I said, like Doyle Brunson says in poker and say, this is where we're going. It seems like that's what the NFL is doing, but that is the NFL. I mean, I don't want to be too reductive, but it's once again, the difference between these two leagues, the cold eyed yeah. pragmatist, the Chad yeah. NFL versus the Virgin NBA for that meme is what it feels like where the NFL goes, we're going to do whatever we want to do uh, in our business interests. And the NBA is saying, we're going to do what Twitter is more likely to agree with, even if it costs us our entire Christmas slate and cracks open our collective bargaining agreement and uh, causes problems for our broadcasters. So, uh, by the way, Nancy, thanks. So you're, you're very game about this whole topic. I know you came on thinking that we would talk about Dame and the Blazers and, and such, and I've derailed. No, 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 no. I, I'm fascinated by it. I read the piece twice because I, I, I'm really curious about, okay, so we know that, you know, uh, in New York, like the NBA was cool with people that didn't want to get vaccinated, going ahead and playing, but oops, the state of New York wasn't, right? So how, yeah. how does that work if, uh, if someone says, okay, we're just going to move ahead, we're just going to test them if they're sick, and otherwise we're playing ball, we're just doing it. I mean, can they get shut down? I think so in certain municipalities. Um, it depends on the fear factor, and I guess it's the great unknown, right? That's with this whole Omicron, or however we're pronouncing it, it sounds like an Israeli prime minister. Um, it, it, it's, <laughs> I, it's, there, there, there's this weird wrinkle to it, which is, hey, let's throw this. It really does feel like we're living in a simulation sometimes because it's, hey, let's throw a flavor of COVID at you. Uh, super crazy transmissible, but way less deadly. Let's just see, let's run this experiment and see what happens societally. I don't know what will happen. (laughs) Well, it would seem that like, you know, just like, like NASCAR, right there, you know, it's going to, it'll fly in the red state. It's not going to fly in the blue state. So what is basketball becoming a a red state sport? I mean, yeah, I, (laughs) They would have more success. The problem is that basketball's best teams are, are well, I mean, well, the be- the Warriors especially are in a, the deepest of the blue. So that, so there is that right there. Um, JF, we, we, we bounced him from the queue so we could take more callers. That was uh, tremendous content. I think one of the reasons why I've undersold 
uh, how normal it is in other parts of the country is one a little painful to consider that people are just leading blissful lives out there. Uh, and two, I don't see it. It adds to the crazy dissonance of this whole situation that there are pockets of the country where this just isn't an omnipresent part of life. It's uh, hard to conceive of for me. Nancy, what about for you? Well, I, I, I didn't read, but I skimmed the article that I guess uh, appeared in the Atlantic two days ago. Yeah, that one. Yeah. And- I mean, we know that that's true. We, we, I mean, I have, I have relatives that, that live this way that are not, you know, in major East or, uh, or West Coast uh, cities. And it just isn't, or even upstate New York. My mom was, I go up there, it's like, it's not, well, it's not, in some places it is, but mostly it's not. It's like we, we, they've moved on. Um, but unfortunately, as we know, uh, you know, the 700 people that are in the media that are, that are, you know, keep repeating the phrase that we have to, not move forward on COVID and, and be afraid, you know, has an yep. impact. Um, sorry, I forgot your question. What was the question? <laughs> no, the, the question was whether, I mean, how aware you are of the normalcy outside of our midst. And uh, how, to me, it's just very oh. difficult to, because I, I spend, you know, most days I am in Berkeley, California. It is hard to conceive of this world. It really oh. is. Well, I will tell you that actually I was uh, I was stuck in Portland for like when things were really super terrible here in New York from like uh, May through uh, March through May of 2020. When I came back, um, I may have I may have told you this story already, but uh, uh, Matt Welch had been watching The Last Dance, of course, right? We all had been, and I've been watching it. It was the last it was the last episode was coming on, and I was now back in New York, and it's like, dude, I want to come over and watch it. I don't want to watch it by myself because I've been watching it with my family in Portland, and he's like. Uh, okay. So I came over. I was the first person in his house with his family in two and a half months. And I said wow. to myself, okay, we're, we're not doing this. And I started having people over for lunch. This is in June of 2020, like two at a time. I'm like, guys, we're not going to French kiss. Just come over. We're going to have lunch. We're going to eat like normal people. <laughs> and I had tons of people come and they were all, it was like the first time they ventured out. But I think starting almost a year and a half ago, I just said, I'm not, I'm not living this way. And I think there are a lot of people uh, that feel this way, um, but maybe they don't broadcast it like, like I am right now because they feel like they're going to get trouble or they're going to be told they're part of the problem. Yeah. Um, I've been vaccinated and boosted um, and I've basically been living my life for a year and a half. So I don't know what that says. Um, and I, I live in New York city. So I, think it's possible guys that i'm not an anomaly you know um Mm. (laughs) well that's the other thing and we'll take a we'll take a call from yasirian after this that's the other thing i'm sensing i'm sensing blue fatigue is what i'm detecting and there's some polling to back it up and there is the very interesting gubernatorial race in new jersey that happened uh on november 2nd i believe where there was a 13 point swing from the 2020 presidential results, Phil Murphy, the Democrat governor of the state, nearly lost. Uh, he won it by the skin of his teeth. And he he has admitted in retrospect that a lot of it was that COVID restriction fatigue. And so even if this is broken down along partisan lines and it's blue, COVID cautious, red, COVID apathetic, I do think that there is a limit reached. There is, I don't know if it's a silent majority, but perhaps a plurality of people who are saying, hey, I didn't sign on for this 
forever. I signed on for some masks for a point to a point until we get the vaccines and we get them. I don't want this to be the way I live out the rest of my life. I think you're seeing more and more people feel that way if they aren't broadcasting it. Oh, yeah. I think there are the people that have been feeling that way, you know, since May 2020. Mm. But, you know, there were good soldiers and they were good soldiers. And then it's like, wait, wait, like you're saying, like, wait a second. You know, you're moving the goalposts here. I mean, in New York, we had it was initially a 70 percent vaccination rate and then things could kind of get back to normal. Well, they've changed that now. You know, it's like and and we're just supposed to live with it. I mean, I think at a certain point people are just going to be like, no. No, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I mean, it becomes hard here. I tried for a while here to hold out and not show my vaccine card anywhere. I was like, nope, I'm just not going to go to restaurants and bars where it's required. And then it becomes impossible. And then you start getting pissed off. It's like, why? Why am I doing this? Like, why? Why mm. do I have to do this? Because you've chosen this sort of arbitrary thing that doesn't even make sense, at least to my mind, at this point. Yeah, the the arbitrary nature of the rules, uh, I think, is a huge aspect of this. And you mentioned since, you know, May of 2020, just the sense of the officials say, hey, you know, don't gather in groups, but wait, now protests, now that's fine. And it's, you, you oh, lose yeah. faith, Hi. you lose faith that there's <laughs> any sort of real standard to anything. But I'm curious, the appropriately nicknamed Yasarian, uh, let's take that next caller. Uh, let's see. Yusarian, are you there? Hey, Ethan. Hey. Uh, yeah, so sort of pivoting off and answer what you were just talking about. It's funny because I went out to lunch yesterday uh, with some friends and we got asked for our proof of vaccination um, as we were entering the restaurant. And so I turned to my friend. I sort of muttered under my breath in my bad Russian accent, papers, please. Right. I mean, that's sort of. Yeah. That's it has yeah. it has that that yeah. vibe to it. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, I live in the Bay Area as well. And, you know, I've been a, a good liberal all my life and I'm I'm definitely chafing. And so, Ethan, when you ask about like Californians looking out and, you know, seeing other parts of the country going about their business, it's like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm checking the numbers ev- virtually every day on the, my county's website. And you can see the numbers and, you know, there, there are cases out there, but the hospitalizations mm. aren't bad. The, the hospitals aren't over overrun or overwhelmed. Deaths are down. We're at north of 80 percent vaccination rate. It's like, ugh, you know, and it's like, OK, Omicron, we got to deal with. Om- well, there's going to be new Mu and new and all the other letters of the Greek alphabet. Well, in the bar- the barrier, what it feels like sometimes, too, is that. Um, it's that that reasoning from the Simpsons, uh, from Lisa Simpson to Homer, that this rock keeps tigers away. If anybody ever remembers that that episode, where there's a sense of there's a sense of if it's low, if the cases are low, then it's because we're doing the right thing and we're so much smarter than these other areas. But if they're high, same thing. You know, there there just doesn't seem to be a, a release valve sometimes. And where are you coming from, by the way? Not to not to dox you. What county are we talking? What city? Contra Costa. Walnut Contra Creek. Costa. Are we talking about the great, the great conquered California? What what city in what city in Contra Costa? Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek. Beautiful Walnut Creek. 
Yes. <laughs> Beautiful Walnut Creek would hit the news by getting, you know, the smash and grab at the at the mall out there, which was very unfortunate. Um, you know, leafy suburb. Yeah, and then getting looted last summer. Um yeah, but you know, it was the quick turnaround. I mean, fairly I'm sure you saw this in the news is uh quick two million dollars uh police budget and a drone and everything else. I mean, they were they were not fucking around after the last one, it would seem. Well, this we could go on a whole digression about, you know, the whole defund the police stuff and white liberals advocating for that and those policies redounding to the detriment of black and other minority populations living in urban areas with high crime rates, whereas the white liberals who are advocating for it are tucked safely in our, our safe suburbs with, you know, adequate policing. Um, but <laughs> Unless it's Walnut Creek and it's like the, uh, the exception <laughs> that proves the rule or I don't even know what to call that. Yeah. So, yeah, that, 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 that's a whole other subject. But I did want to I did want to touch on I'm curious to get your, your guys' thoughts, because one thing that occurs to me in terms of, you know, it, it touches on the NBA's handling this, but the whole political discourse around covid. Right. I mean, doesn't it just come down as so many other issues do in this day and age to to just people's ideological priors? Right. And I think I think in this con in, yeah. in this. Context of like climate change and why conservatives are so resistant to acknowledging climate change and, and taking action on it. And, and I think, you know, I've heard this argument made and it's pretty persuasive to me. It's because you look downstream and you see that if it's true, then what is required is significant regulation and government intervention on energy policy and the economy. And conservatives don't want that. Mm. And because they don't want it, they say, oh, it's not really a problem. And then you don't have to, you know, right, then, then you're problem solved, right? I don't have to worry about massive government intervention because it's, it's all a hoax or it's overblown or whatever. And so with COVID, it's like, yeah, well, I think it, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, so COVID, you look at, you know, the right wing reaction to it is sort of anti-vax and, and individuals get to take ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine and some spun out conspiracy theories about mm-hmm. Pfizer and Fauci concocting all this to, to, make money for the pharmaceutical companies. And then on the left, you get, you know, what do you, what's the answer? It's a government. It has to be, you know, centralized control. So we get lockdowns and vax mandates and mask mandates, right? So, you know, in the NBA, it's interesting that they're, obviously it's a more left-wing uh, operation, but the, the, the preferred policy response of locking down and and quarantines and what have you is bad for business so they seem to be somewhat stuck i think between their preferred ideology and what actually what that would cause yeah well the nba is just in such a strange position because they are coded as the lefty league because of the type of person who tends to be a fan of the nba but that's not actually the people within the nba who are very different attitudinally i mean it's in many ways, a jockocracy. And even if it includes a lot of people who, you know, vote Democrat, they have much different worldviews, let's say, than, you know, the standard uh, Twitter, NBA Twitter fan. So when I talk to guys in NBA ops, and I say guys because it's 99% guys in NBA ops, um, their attitude is not, oh my God, batten down the hatches, we need to test everybody, lock up for COVID. It's, let's stop with the fucking test already. I mean, let's let's get it going. You know, like this doesn't, like that's the attitude right now. So it's it's interesting. It's inter- They almost have to 
play a role ideal ideologically that they don't actually feel uh, internally as a as a culture as a league. Yeah, I, I'm going to add, uh, add something to what uh, Yusarian was saying about you know people are just confirming their priors. I think you know when anything no. comes to movement, whether it's you know I don't know, let's just take COVID for right now. You had people um, begin to pinch off power depending on what their positions were, like, for instance, the teachers' unions, who really have done a number on our, on our school kids for the past couple of years. And they just can't back down. Like, even if the science is, is telling them, like, guys, like, you really, kids are not, are not at risk here. They can't do it because they've built themselves a platform now based on um, whether you want to call it uh, perversions of the information or just or cherry picking the information or even making up the information so that it, it secured whatever position that they wanted. I think we have a lot of people probably in industries like that uh, in, in many walks of life that they just don't want to budge because then it's going to, they won't be as secure. And I think that that's happening now, not just because we are, you know, politically antagonistic toward each other, but because there's some real edifices that have been built uh, using COVID uh, mm. as a substantial basis. And people are just not, they're just not willing yet to give up their platforms. So we, yeah, there's a lot of sunk cost fallacy, I guess, going around. Suffer, and You know, the rest yeah. of them suffer, whether it's, you know, uh, Matt's six-year-old daughter being told that, you know, she can't do something. She can't walk into like the bodega unless she has two shots and a booster. It's like, <laughs> who is this serving? Like, I want to buy a Coke, you know? Uh, so, yeah. People have to yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I think that's, I, I agree with all of that. Um, I think there is also something that what you're saying is saying, which is that you almost don't want to make the conversation about something the other side has more answers for, right? Um, and that you brought up climate change. I think there's that sense. Uh, you don't want to accept the validity of it because you know that that other side has spent way more time thinking about it. And if we accept it, then they're going to have more of a role in it. And I think you see that with a lot of issues in the discourse. And so much of the discourse just becomes about what the discourse should be as opposed to what the solution is um, because we're so inundated with information. But thanks so much, Yusarian. We're going to take another call from Christian. Christian, let's make you the next caller. Christian, Christian, calling you up to the queue. And a one, two, three. Have I done this properly? There we go. Hey Ethan, Nancy, enjoying enjoying the con- hey. enjoying the conversation so far. Hey. Um, I'm curious <laughs> to know, as as someone who's probably in the 99 percentile of media consumption, um, what your thoughts are on like kind of the the landscape, right? So, like I listen to to a lot of different podcasts. So in my mind, it's kind of like gangs in New York, right? You have different factions. On one side, you have like mm. the Ringer, right? And then you have like uh, Metal Arc Media with Levitard and everybody else. And then the, on, the, on the other side, you have, you know, Travis Clay and Barstool and all this other jazz. So it's, it's interesting to see kind of like how Barstool has essentially monopolized the gambling space and really aligned themselves with like football, college football, pro football. And then the other side is like really NBA heavy. Um, 
but one one interesting incident that happened this year, and I haven't seen too many people speak about it, was the whole situation with with Dave Portnay and, and Business Insider, where when, when the initial allegations came out, uh, I noticed a lot of the people I followed, especially like on NBA Twitter on the left side of things, were essentially liking and retweeting a lot of the stuff bashing Dave Portnay. And then when it seemed a lot of it kind of lost its momentum with with him kind of releasing the videos and kind of explaining things away, but no one really kind of gave me a cope on, hey, this seems to be not a real thing. Um, curious to know kind of the Cold War that's happening between these sides and, and what's kind of like the end game. Like, I'm curious to see what happens like in the next four or five years, uh, because it feels like a, a lot of it is um, just like top heavy stuff. Like to me, the, the protein of media is actually more interesting than the games itself. Like I'll, I'll listen to every single Zach Lowe podcast, but I don't I haven't watched NBA one NBA game this year. You know what I mean? Like to me, the, the, the characters of media are so much mm. more interesting than than the actual substance of the games. <laughs> well, that's very interesting, ah, Christian. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on mute as I answer because you got some background noise. But I, I like all that. I don't know because Nancy is more in the politics space. You're a Blazers fan, but I don't know if you know about everything that he's describing. So if if anybody. Okay, so you know about the I different do. constituencies, and you know yeah. about, yeah. I, I actually don't know about the different constituencies so much, but I do know about the Barstool Sports story. And if I could just make one comment about that, because obviously, you know, it flamed up kind of fast. So, look, the, people are always going to go after the big cheeses, right? They don't go and attack, like, your local dry cleaner, because there's nothing in it for them. And I don't really have any particular sense of who Dave Portney is or who screws or and I kind of don't care. But I can say yeah. that um, I kind of like the way the guy eats pizza. I think that's kind of fun. But uh, it's a smart it's thing. Fun. Uh, I like pizza. But I will say that, um, <laughs> you know, they, they came at him pretty hard. I don't I have zero idea what the allegations the truth to them. I don't know. I've, I've written about a lot of stories like this where the allegations have been true, where they've been false. But I will say he came out swinging and he was not going to have it. And you kind of saw that instead of inflaming the situation, it seems to me at least, and I could be a little behind because I've been building a media site over here, that it didn't get bigger. Because that's the funny thing. When you Mm. go up to people and say, nope, Nope. They sometimes back down. Now, I could have the story completely wrong. And I, you know, if it's an interesting story to talk about, let's talk about it. But um, I, I, it seems to me like that that's, that could be a story that was like in your Twitter eyeball for two months solid. And I haven't seen anything about it in a week and a half. So. Yeah, I, I don't claim to know much about the story either, even if I have some tangential connections to it, because Reeves, uh, Wiedemann, was uh, in this back and forth with him. It was very contentious and was writing an article and Reeves was an intern with me uh, in the dungeon of the village voice working for Wayne Barrett, uh, the contentious uh, legendary biographer of Ruli Giuliani and investigative reporter and a lovely man who would just scream at us all day throughout the day. He had this (laughs) giant nose. His nose was just inflamed and red. He would just scream at you. But he would also give you ecstatic praise, too. There were were such highs and lows with the Wayne Barrett experience. So I I know Reeves from from back then. 
Um, I think what you might be speaking to, Nancy, is a little theory that I've tried to popularize called uh, the dad theory. Uh, don't apologize, double down of PR management, That's which right. is That's basically, right. hey, again, don't do this in your personal relationships. It's good to apologize to your wife or your husband, people where there's trust and they care about you or there's mutual respect. But unfortunately, in the social media circumstance, once the mob smells blood, uh, everybody starts stabbing. Everybody starts stabbing Caesar. Oh. So, uh, you know, it just seems like attacking and going on the offensive in many instances is is the best chance that you have of defending yourself. So, yeah, Christian, if you want to follow up on any of that, I'll, uh, well, actually, I don't even know how to unmute. So I think I'm going to go, I'm going to try to make Brad the next caller. But great, great question, Christian. And, you know, I have a bunch of thoughts additionally on it. And I might return to it about the weird political valences of the sports media landscape. But let's get Brad on. Get Brad to ask a question. Ethan, Ethan, can I interrupt you one second? Sure. I have two special guests who just walked in. I got Michael Moynihan and Matt Welch here now, too. So we're all on the call now. <laughs> this is crazy. It's like a... <laughs> How you doing, guys? Uh, drunk? Um, yeah, we're a little drunk. So I'm mean, sorry. We don't even know what this is. What are, what's happening here? <laughs> It, it's like Clubhouse, but with more safeguards to control uh, people taking over the room. It will be turned into a podcast later, which is also why it's different from Clubhouse. So don't don't fall into the trap of thinking it's pure ephemera. You know, like you could potentially say something that could be used to hurt you down the road. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. But there are safeguards. So it's essentially Clubhouse without all the anti uh, Is that what I Well, you know, I mean, we, we'll see what our next caller says. Uh, we'll see. Or what I say. <laughs> How you guys doing? Great. We just recorded a podcast with uh, Representative Peter Meyer from Michigan's third district, um, and it went great. And uh, and so yeah, we've been. He tried to ruin his career. He desperately tried to ruin his career. Yeah. 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 Uh, and he succeeded. I think. He called. <laughs> he called well, that sounds like a successful podcast. Yeah, he called he called Woodrow Wilson and Julian Assange shitbirds in the same in the same time. I don't know. If that's not the most. Uh, yeah, I would. NBA per yeah. se, Ethan. Um, but what we do? <laughs> well, this whole thing, I, Welch, has just been. You know, I, I actually thought you would want to get in on the conversation because a lot of what Nancy and I have been talking about, per the NBA, per the situation with the uh, oncoming variant that appears to be highly transmissible but not as dangerous, we're, we're just ex we're venting. There's catharsis of can we get back to normal? You know, when can we get back to normal? Why is nobody saying that we can get back to normal? Can the NBA have its games or does it have to put everybody in the protocols? Uh, these are the things that I figure would, uh, you know, lend themselves to a Welchian rant. Welchian. <laughs> Welchian is, is, it's funny when I meet people in the world and I apologize to everyone who like, who the hell is Welch? Because uh, you're right um, to say that. Uh, but uh, I write a lot about COVID and especially school policy and stuff. And I live in New York City, so that's a source of a lot of infuriation. Um, but when I meet people who've uh, read anything in other places, like I'm in D.C. or in California or something, they, they approach me very gingerly like, are you are you OK? Apparently, a certain <laughs> level of infuriation about this, which I was unaware of. But yeah, we live in a place right now in New York where um, 
as of this week, every one of the 184,000 businesses, private businesses, are supposed to begin the process of enforcing a vaccine mandate on all their employees. And also in the state, um, uh, you have to, if you run a, a public-facing business, everyone in your shop who comes in or works there has to either prove they're vaccinated or have a mask on. Um, and this is at a time when the uh, vaccination rate among adults, uh, at least a one-shot rate, is 93%. Uh, so uh, it's, and you know, we're, we're about ready to hit an Omicron uh, wave for sure. It's coming. A lot of people are going to test positive for coronavirus. I assume, starting with Michael Moynihan, um, right now. Uh, my, right now. No, no, no. I said I have chlamydia. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I called it Omicron. I just didn't know what it was, and then they said, "Omicron." Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get it. Now stop it. Sorry, I didn't realize we we're on on live. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I was making, maybe this was too precious an argument or a thought exercise, but I almost, I wanted the NBA to be defiantly business as usual um, because they could almost set the template like they had done in March of 2020 when they indicated that this shit was real and institution after institution, domino after domino shut down after the NBA shut down following the positive coronavirus test of Rudy Gobert. And so now I was looking at the NBA, archetypal blue state sport, uh, as possibly a Nixon goes to China type situation where they could say, hey, we're not shutting things down. We're not putting all our players in protocol. We are going to treat this like an illness. We realize it's a very bad illness. We're going to treat it like we treat a lot of illnesses. And we're just moving on. This is endemic. We're just moving on. And that could potentially... I don't know, be a pressure release valve and kind of do the opposite of what it did back in March. And perhaps maybe I wouldn't have to send my child uh, to a school where he has to mask all day, every day. That was my fantasy. That's what I was gaming out. That's what I was effectively talking about in the article. Uh, it doesn't appear the NBA is doing it, but it appears that the NFL is. Thank God for the... Um, cold-eyed pragmatists at the nfl because there's talk of there's already talk of fuck it uh we're not gonna we're not gonna be testing vaccinated play, uh, players i'm seeing that reporting out of the washington post i mean it's very counterintuitive to argue as you did let's test less yeah. or let's freak not out as bad less but there and and that's you, you that argument's going to lose in the near term certainly in every democratic controlled state. And I don't say that uh, from uh, like a personal wellspring of anti-democratic party sentiment, but just as a, a that's the reality. Um, there's such a huge partisan split of COVID mitigations and interventions on the governmental scale, depending on where you live. And if you live in New York and California and Washington and Oregon, um, it's going to be a certain way. Uh, and it's frustrating and it's going to lose because this is also where, you know, the national media is centered in New York City and people are really freaking out about this right now here. And it's a very different um, uh, story than what you recall from when was it like in the summer when it was all based in Florida, yeah. um, you know, where the NBA did the bubble, which is probably the most insanely successful 
like let's get back into quasi reality maneuver in society, let alone professional sports. I mean, it was a really successful. We'll test everything and and get back to it. It'd be wonderful if they could find a way to uh, like uh, ease us into dealing with uh, transition from pandemic to endemic. But I don't see a lot of indication that people are ready. And uh, on the contrary, I, 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 I like. My, I like that as a turn of phrase. Sorry to interject, but you know, maybe I, just selling it like that would be good. Nice. You did, except that, <laughs> like, was that like endemic or endemic? That's what yeah. I was wondering. Mm. Yeah. All right. Did I say something good? I'm going to take uh, Brad. Brad, uh, caller Brad, are you there? Yes, yeah, hey. Um, because Matt and Michael are there, I'll lead with the fact that I'm drunk. Uh, <laughs> I'm drunk. I'll lead with the fact that I'm drunk. Thank he you. Oh, that. good, good, good. Yeah, but, guys. Um, yeah, so my, my question is, um, for Adam Silver in particular, like, what are the incentives that he's responding to? Like, should we read the fact that the NBA is still kind of maintaining their existing protocols and testing regimen and everything to mean that this is not hitting their bottom line yet. Um, is, is that a, a stress that like he is feeling at this moment? Like I, I, I've seen very little kind of reporting on Adam Silver's thought process, like particularly this season as it relates to COVID. So mm. I, I just don't know. I mean, I think the basketball has been great, but um, I just don't know how to read the fact that, I mean, I don't know if there's been any, even you may know this, I don't know if there's been any player who has had COVID who is experiencing like any residual, whether it's like long COVID or has had a, a serious, been seriously impacted yeah. by it. But if, if that's not the case, like w what is he responding to? And if, if they're not kind of moving to the endemic phase, does that mean it's not hitting the bottom line? Yeah, Jalen Brown, I believe, uh, said that he had issues following the COVID on, on the Boston Celtics. And I think Chronicle uh, Towns, whose family was just tragically hit by COVID, uh, I think himself from getting it, had uh, some issues. But I don't know if that's what he's responding to. I am very curious about the NBA because it does almost feel like a uh, in miniature 2008 situation where I'm just watching I'm watching gravity not apply to a business. That's what I feel like when I'm watching the NBA. I watch them lose enormous sums of money uh, for obvious reasons during the 2020 season when the pandemic hits. Um, and then they try to get it going and they don't have fans. Uh, they don't have fans for the longest time. And then they bring it in and it's a trickle. And then they think they're going to have fans this season. Uh, vaccines, everything else. Everybody's real excited, very optimistic. And there's just this enormous attendance drought. Um, following Delta, and I think that there's probably a political component as well. I can tell you that there's a deep red state, uh, or not deep red state, but there's a red state team that has 15 of 38 corporate suites vacant right now. They can't even sell them. Um, and if you watch TV and League Pass and you flip around, you'll see just 
it, it like it, it looks like an empty gym in New Orleans. It looks like an empty gym in Memphis. And so they're losing theoretically billions of dollars left and right. Now, maybe the reason they don't feel it is because of the setup in America right now, which is if you're wealthy, uh, if you're enormously rich, it just seems like you can get endless credit. And the NBA had credit lines extended to it. And so maybe that's why they don't feel it. Because I I, I react the same way you do. It, it It's mystifying to me. I don't totally get it. And the thing about the assiduous testing, the NBA's uh, signature event is their Christmas Day slate. That's the biggest night of television in the NBA. Um, and it's the main showpiece in a television contract that allots them $2.6 billion per year, I would have to think they're in violation of that contract if there are no Christmas Day games. And it seems like they're running the risk of that if they follow their own protocols. And this is the sort of wave that we think it is. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking the same thing you're thinking. I'm wondering what the hell is going to happen here. Uh, Okay. Let's let's play a little game of yeah. what if for a second. You you used a good a good little analogy there. It's a it's a business without gravity, right? Okay. So let's say Silver goes ahead and he applies what would obviously be ballast of some sort, right? If he um if he goes with your idea. What happens? That's a great and you're talking about yeah, we're doing business as usual, we're we're not testing as much. Yep. I would think there is almost a subtle way to sneak it through. You don't have to announce it necessarily like the way I would want them to do to make sure that we relax the country. But let's say they go, look, we're not testing vaccinated players. The NFL is already doing this. They're already not testing the vaccinated players. That's what we're doing. Uh, We're relaxing our protocols a bit. Um, I think they sneak that one by the goalie. But I think that there is this issue. I mean, the Chicago Public Health Department was very concerned about all the Chicago Bulls players who uh, were coming down with the COVID and the Bulls had to postpone their games. So I do think that they are in, they, they are in a bit of, um, they are under some pressure. Yeah, but when was that? When was that? That was a, quite a while ago, right? Yeah, it was about a week or so ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so I think that they're, they are facing this governmental pressure. And the, this is one of the fascinating aspects of COVID that you, you sometimes just don't know where the power lies. And maybe the NFL, they're just so powerful that they can make their own rules. And maybe the NBA just isn't at that power level and they can't make their own rules. But I didn't know going into the pandemic that governors could just, by diktat, just make laws willy-nilly in a crisis. Did you? I mean, we learn some things when these things happen. (laughs) Wait, but Ethan, who who is the goalie that they'd be sneaking it by? Is it it the media or... or like government officials, government officials on the local level, you know, a Lori Lightfoot, you want You want to sneak it past the Lori Lightfoot um, and just kind of do, do the games as you're doing them. And I think it might be difficult. I mean, the part they might not be able to control, I think they can maybe control which players get to play the part they might not be able to control in some of these blue areas are the crowds and whether you can have crowds in there. And I think that's something that, you know, they, they can't. But the TV money is the biggest thing in the NBA. Gate revenue is 40% of the revenue um, on average, according to Adam Silver. The TV money and the lavish deal that they signed in 2014, 2015 is the thing that just keeps all of this afloat. So whatever they can do, maybe they're just confident they can fulfill their con- 
contractual contractual obligations. Bring guys off the street if need be to play those Christmas games. Um, <laughs> maybe that's the thinking that they'll just be able to do it, even if there's no Steph Curry because he's got Omicron or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, but like my um, oh, this will be the last bit, and then I'll, I'll yield the floor. Sure. But, um, but like I, I still am wondering what Adam Silver knows, like that we don't, because I I presume that among all the owners and all the people who have an interest in the decision the decisions he makes that you know impact them financially like if if this is all hurting the NBA in a very obvious financial way that there must be you know people one step removed from Adam Silver that that it is hurting as well and why it's, why is that it, like trickling out more obviously through woke shams it's so funny you ask that because this is what I was thinking about all day because I don't like to uh, approach these questions from the assumption that, oh, the people in charge are idiots, right? Often there are considerations on, behind the scenes that you're not aware of and you don't know what you don't know. At the same time, for as much as Adam Silver has been touted, uh, touted as this, this, uh, this genius, he's lost in his tenure half the viewership that the league used to have. So I think sometimes we do have to wonder whether he is very susceptible to media pressure and maintaining uh, the Sterling, I mean, pardon the pun because he got that Sterling reputation by banning Donald Sterling upon taking over. But I, I, I do sometimes wonder if he's just highly motivated by the media portrayal of him and whether that's the big consideration a lot of the time, because I'm with you. I'm looking at the situation. I'm going, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. This is just a risk of of so much financially. But There's there's no one in the press being like, Adam Silver's totally fucking our money up. I mean, not yet. That's not happening yet. But, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta wonder. And uh, I will take, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up because it is very late in the East Coast. We'll take one more call. Thanks so much, Brad. We'll take a call from John. Uh, and then we will wrap up. This has been fantastic. I love the cameo uh, from the fifth guys in the background. We love drunk cameos. We want more of them in the future. John, how you doing? Hey, guys. How are you? Um, hey. So, yeah, I live in NYC, wow. so I can confirm that it is very yeah. late here. Um, hmm. uh, so I wanted to ask you about the lack of like a good villain in the NBA now. I think it's something you talked mm. about in the past, like the Nets should be a villain, but nobody cares about the Nets at all. Uh, you yeah. know, I've never talked about a Nets game with anybody. <laughs> um, so I, I think I, I would say, in my opinion at least, that it's probably due to the media completely unwilling to talk about a player in any sort of negative light. Yes. And uh, I was just wondering your, your thoughts on that. Uh, well, I mean, Wojnarowski tried to make uh, Nancy's favorite, Damian Lillard, the villain of the NBA. <laughs> take. That's the number one thought that I had. And Number two, uh, yeah, I think that there are sensitivities around it. I think there's access journalism. I frankly think that, that race is a factor where there's more of a sensitivity about whereas pre-Great Awakening, uh, there would have been middle-aged white reporters who would have like lambasted these guys for being divas and that went too far and that was too much but now there's almost an overcorrection where there's an 
utter unwillingness to criticize. And the problem is that you sell a game with contrasts. That's how you sell things. It's with contrast. The most watched uh, Western Conference finals ever. It wasn't two big markets teams. It was the Hollywood glamorous Shaq and Kobe Lakers versus the plucky Sacramento Kings. It's conservative Duke versus liberal North Carolina. Uh, we love our contrast. And so when Giannis Antetokounmpo goes up against Kevin Durant and the mercenary Brooklyn Nets, ESPN should really be playing up that angle of loyalty versus mercenary, but they can't do it. They're too sensitive to it. They're too worried about saying that one is bad and the other is good, even though that's really all part of the fun and that's part of selling a game. So, uh, John, I, I, I would agree with that. Nancy, do you have any villains that you want in the NBA? Any, anybody on the horizon? Oh, there always are people that come about where, like, I hate that guy usually because they were beating the Blazers. So that that anybody at a certain point that was beating the Blazers, and I loved your article about that. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> we'll, Probably, we'll call him Woj. Uh, Hold on. Yeah, yeah. I I loved you. You you did what I've told like the baby writers sometimes ask me. It's like, what? How do I make that point? It's like it's very easy. Just say. Oh, listen, this guy's a friend of mine, but look, here's what I think. And it would like be so yeah. easy to completely write whatever he writes if he was just above board to begin with. But no, but no. Instead, he had to make somebody else the villain in order to make his friend look all shiny. And, and I really like that piece. I really agreed with that piece. Ethan, I think that the answer to the question, and I say this as a dyed-in-the-wool Lakers fan from... It was imprinted on my brain. I met Wilt Chamberlain when I was four. I bet, according to according to lore, you know, I went, I walked up to him when he was sitting down, and he was well taller than I was uh, <laughs> back in the back in the days, like the seventy two, seventy three season. Mm. Um, we were season ticket holders. Uh, my my nickname on the playground playing basketball as a as a, a junior high schooler was Magic. Because he was like he was extant at that moment, and I could do a no look pass. I couldn't do anything else that was useful on a basketball court. I could do that. But the answer to who is the villain? It's the fucking Lakers. It's the Lakers, and it's LeBron yes. fucking James. Yeah. I mean, if you can't sell LeBron James yeah. as a villain in 2021, then we have just forgotten about villainy for crime. Oh my God! I I could do another thirty minutes on this, Matt. It's a great point. And Listen, the tequila bottle is only half empty. But also, we should we will be happy to come back and do a uh, LeBron episode. I sorry, I don't want to waste your listeners' time here, but I have never I have never been a LeBron James fan. I you know you people are like yeah, but what about people literally send me clips? But what about this Nancy? I'm like you know what. I just don't get the feeling, and I never have, and I think lately he has shown us why. Well, LeBron, on the one hand, is just a tremendous overachiever considering the expectations placed on him as this child star and uh, has had perhaps the greatest career ever. But on the other hand, and I, I will, we're sticking the landing here because I do find the issue you raised to be fascinating for a number of different reasons. Um, Part of the issue with trying to make LeBron a villain, even though 
I think many people are tired of him and there's a lack of authenticity that shines through. Somehow he has totally alienated conservative America while gaining nary a liberal fan. I don't know how you pull off that, that magic trick, but he's, yep. he's pulled it off. Um, wow. The problem is this. It's that LeBron accrued a bunch of power within Nike. And when somebody is a major signature athlete within Nike, mm-hmm. they're almost a conglomerate within a conglomerate. And they start to control the host in a way. And so when the Bucks won the championship last season behind the stellar work of uh, the charismatic, lovable Giannis Antetokounmpo, i.e. the Greek freak, Nike didn't make an ad for Giannis. There was no ad for him following that, which is highly unusual. That's, that's wow. really a break with tradition. Now, why is that? I think a lot of people think it's because LeBron James is the face of Nike basketball and he has to remain the face and ceding territory to another guy, uh, a rising younger player like Giannis. And maybe some of the themes that Giannis echoes about loyalty to one team, LeBron doesn't do that. It, whatever you would say about Giannis to sell him would be an indictment of LeBron. So that's, not great for Nike as a company, but that's just the state of play there. And it's the control that LeBron has. And it's a difficult situation for them to manage on a business level uh, as he gets older and as he gets, gets worse at basketball. So that also extends to the question of why you can't make him a villain because you know, LeBron and ESPN, I think that there's some synergy there as well. And there's, he's sensitive. He, he wants more praise. I don't think that he would, he would play that role. He doesn't want to go back to it. He dabbled with it in 2011 following the decision that got everybody mad. Could, could I just add something, Ethan? Sure. Um, I also just don't think the Lakers are good. Enough. I think, I think mm. you have to be the best team or a second best team or, you know, a real a dominant force that people are, also kind of scared of i'm sorry I'm, i really am but it's that that's true <laughs> the warriors were like the greatest villain because they were incredible and you knew they were going to beat your ass yeah and there was nothing you could do about it you just had to hate them yeah there's a great cartoon out there too. Hmm. It's uh, with a little song about them becoming villains. Uh, that was, uh, I think it was made by the Game of Zones guys, perhaps, but a very catchy tune. I think uh, just look up Warriors villains on YouTube. Uh, it's worth a laugh, especially because the only people on this call right now are dead drunk. I think we have confirmed. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, hey, I want to thank everybody for stopping by. Nancy, thank you so much for uh, for facilitating the conversation. Uh, fantastic as always. Everybody, check out Paloma Media. I want to thank I, I want to thank everybody for the input and uh, the, the great questions. The fifth guys for stopping by. Uh, this is a great platform, and uh, you know, I don't think you know. I just thought to myself. I thought to myself, have I created trouble in any kind of way? And then I remembered I'm on Substack, and it doesn't matter. And you know, there's no such thing as getting <laughs> fired uh, unless I do plagiarism. So, with that. Thanks so much. Stay safe out there. Get some goddamn sleep, people, especially if you're on the East Coast. See ya. Nope.